how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. In the latest film from Henry Alex Rubin, Leighton Meester, Finn Glitrock, and Jay Courtney star in Simplify. In the story, a police officer who serves the Marine Corps Reserves is faced with an ethical dilemma when it comes to helping his brother in prison. This idea has been rattling around the mind of Ruben for over a decade. While working on the documentary Murderball, the writer-director got lost in the idea of telling future stories about soldiers dealing with PTSD. In 2005, the documentary Murderball, audiences are invited to watch quadriplegics who play full-contact rugby in wheelchairs as they overcome unimaginable obstacles to compete in the Paralympic Games in Athens, Greece. In this interview, the director discusses his commitment to a subject, when it's time to shelve an idea, how to find spontaneity on set, and how writing a script is like ironing out the wrinkles of a shirt. If you enjoyed this interview, make sure to subscribe and join thousands of viewers for our new YouTube series, also called Creative Principles, which dissects new films, series, and more. I was um, studying political science at Columbia University, and I took a class in documentary filmmaking, and I immediately decided I would try to change my major because I fell in love with documentaries right there. I saw a movie called um, The Thin Blue Line and uh, another documentary called Hearts and Minds about Vietnam. And those films blew me away uh, in a way in which I hadn't quite been blown away by fiction movie. Um, so I immediately decided that I wanted to make documentaries. And um, I made a few. Uh, Henry Jaglum I started in school um, it was a documentary about a, a sort of very eccentric filmmaker who makes movies without any scripts, um, improvises everything. And um, then I made a documentary called Freestyle, which is about freestyle hip-hop and the way that um, a lot of the most talented rappers can just spit rhymes off the top of their head endlessly. Um and the connection that had to poetry. Then I made uh, Murder Ball, which is about quadriplegics who play rugby and, you know, metal-clad wheelchairs. Um, just kept delving into worlds that I was not a part of, that I was fascinated by, which, felt, which I felt perhaps I could illuminate with the camera. Is there a certain point, like in your research phase, when you knew you had to pursue a subject and actually make a film about it versus just, you know, kind of read and understand it? Like, what kind of makes you make that long-term commitment to, to a subject? 
the the in the documentary world you just often start shooting almost it's almost like uh, you don't you don't you don't really know if you have a movie yet. It's almost like writing in, in a journal. Um, it doesn't cost much to just pick up a camera and start shooting things. Um, it's only as you progress where you have to decide, <clears throat> is there a story here that's worthy of lo- the long form um, of, you know, an hour and a half. And um, usually a story emerges, you know, within the year. Um, a story that needs to be told or not, because for all, for all the three documentaries I made, there are probably another three or four that were abandoned um, because something didn't turn out the way I wanted it. For example, I was making a documentary about the <clears throat> the U.S. the West Point rugby team, and um, um, I was fairly convinced that they were going to go at least to the quarterfinals, and uh, it's tough to make a, a a sports film if your team doesn't even get to the quarterfinals. They didn't. They they got beaten unexpectedly, way early in the sort of Sweet Sixteen, and so that all the resources, all the time, all the characters I followed, I just uh, you know turned it into a a little two minute short film, but uh, had to shelve it, like many others. Besides uh, some techniques and things like that, did did the documentary work make you kind of more spontaneous when you moved into fiction work? Are you more willing to look for things like on set or capture maybe unscripted moments uh, because of that work? Yeah, that's a great question. I the truth is that most most fiction doesn't feels very written to me when I watch it. Um, there's obviously many exceptions to that rule, but a lot of it does feel staged and written. And uh, it does when you're when you're shooting it as well. When you're looking through the camera and you're you see you know perfect lighting and there's no obstacles and you don't even have to move the camera to get your subject in frame. Um, and that's not the what I was used to with documentaries. So what I ended up doing a lot on set was attempting to create um, a freer um, atmosphere where there might be obstacles. Uh, For example, things you have to shoot around, people crossing the frame, people talking over each other, um, distractions, sound. Sometimes it's more natural to film a scene from across a busy street and have people be seen intermittently through the cars than be right there in their faces with the camera. Sometimes that that can feel more real, more captured. Uh, I I do love that feeling. Um, People I admire do that. A few people I admire do that, like Ken Loach, Robert Altman sometimes. Um, But in terms of improvisation, as long as they generally are following the scene, I'm always very excited for the actors to improvise. Um, there are a few scenes in this movie where tempers flare, and it's very hard to write that kind of material. People screaming at each other with you know, oceans of resentment behind them. Um, and there's one or two scenes in specifically between the two brothers, played by um, Jai Courtney and Matt Wolf, where they do go at it. And, and 
quite a bunch of the stuff was was improvised where I just um, let them go and did many takes until until their instincts and their backstory sort of took over their mouths and they were just hurling insults at each other that felt very true to the characters but were not in the script. Um, we left that in the movie. feels real. feels more real than anything we could have written. How do you kind of add to that? Like, uh, I think you list as a, a co-writer here, but is this mainly about talking to the actors about their backstories and really knowing, you know, how to improv, like what kind of resentment might come up with that character? How do you kind of set the stage for that or add to it a little more? Yes. Well, they, they have to do that work. Um, I can guide it and I can give my opinions about, you know, my, my screen, my co-screenwriter, Sean and I, we, we, we did, we co-wrote this. We can tell them what we feel does fit into their backstory that they've made up and what is a contradiction to the character. Um, but both of these guys were very interested and willing to go into their own backstories for the characters and had a string of resentments that they had worked out and we felt were felt true to both the characters. So they had a lot of ammunition. If there was ever any kind of a, um, if, if there was any, ever any kind of a conflict to just throw things at each other. Um, and th- there are a lot of, like, if you see this, there's one scene in particular where they yell things at each other and they interrupt each other in a way in which we could not have written. And, and it's, to, to me, it's one of the more truth, truthful and sort of quote captured moments in the movie. What kind of led to this film? Where was the original idea come from? So when I was working on Murderball a long time ago, um, the, the movie about quadriplegics um, who play r- rugby um, in wheelchairs, I went and visited Walter Reed Medical Hospital, um, which is um, where a lot of returning Army and Marines w- were being healed there in Bethesda and were being rehabilitated. Um, and uh, one of the subplots of Semper Fi was lifted directly out of a story someone told me um, in in the hospital. And that's when I became interested in the tolls that war can take on soldiers and telling that story in a way in which we hadn't heard it before. And for for us, the idea of a prison breakout, even though it sounds completely preposterous is actually more of a metaphor for the the need to maybe rectify some feelings that you have when you come back from overseas and or the need to rebalance some order that's been unbalanced um and and we've all seen movies that um talk about you know PTSD, but uh, we've never, I've I've never seen it done in a way in which it refocused um, the the guilt and the feelings of imbalance of a returning vet 
into a new, completely new mission, which clarified him. Whether or not that mission was, was misguided or wrong um, is, is besides the point. It's, it was more the fact that you are, when you're overseas, it's very single mission. And when you come home, it often isn't. I've heard that interviewing many vets, that that is one of the most frustrating elements of coming home is losing a sense of clear mission. Um, the other way in which I wanted to explore, you know, the, the effect of the war on or service or, or duty, especially in, in Iraq at that time, on servicemen were was the effect of, of uh, the loss of a limb. And Finn Wittrock plays the character who loses a limb. And um, a guy named Eric Hunter was an ex-Army uh, sergeant who lost his leg in an IED, just like Finn's character. And Eric ended up playing one of the characters in the film named Bunch. And he also ended up being the the uh, stand-in, the leg stand-in for Finn's character. So every time you see Finn's bare leg, it's it's actually you're looking at um, Eric's leg, who and he lost it um, in, I believe, Ramadi, Iraq, in a, in an IED attack. Um, I there are just like in Murderball, there are there's a, a distinction between a lot of people who who um, don't take the loss of their limb well, um, and there are examples also in Murderball. And I noticed at the hospital of people who did take it well in the sense that they took it as an opportunity to change something about their lives. Um, they took it as an opportunity to teach others about something. Um, and while that wasn't maybe the norm, I saw a lot of that and was surprised and impressed by a lot of that. Um, that sort of can-do attitude. I may have lost a limb or I may have lost the ability to move this, or I may have had um, a tra traumatic brain injury, but I'm going to use it as a teach teaching moment for whether it's kids in schools or whether my friends and family, I'm just, and, and this character, whether it's my friends and family and around me, and this character um, represents a subtle, but yet a shift in his character when he, when, after he loses a limb, he, he changes this character, Finn Wittra, and um, it is not, the person he was when he left and not necessarily in a negative way. And that's just a side that, that is not often explored with, with, with disability or limb loss, which is, which is the majority of what murder ball was about. So a portion of this idea has, has been with you for over 10 years. Um, what advice do you have for novice writers or filmmakers who are, are trying to get a film made and are carrying this, idea with them like what kind of advice do you have for them to kind of push forward and get it made i think you know the, the the best analogy i've ever heard i didn't make it up was that that writing a script is like ironing a shirt and once you it's 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 one thing to have a shirt in front of you but it's almost always just a pile of wrinkles you've got to iron it out for you for a long long time and and you know to me rewriting is far more interesting than writing because that's when you can start adding 
subtlety, layer, character, um, poetry, all those other things that, um, you know, usually don't exist in that first iteration. Thank you for tuning into this show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live. 